Welcome to the Coming Home Well podcast, the show that educates, supports, and advocates for the veteran community. Your host, Dr. Tyler Piron, U.S. Army retired, will bring you exciting conversations with amazing guests about resources, research, and military history, all geared to helping our warriors to come home well. Here's your host, Dr. Tyler Piron. Welcome back to Coming Home Well. I'm your host, Dr. Tyler Piron, and today we are going to be talking about horses. Not just horses in general, though we have talked about like horse therapy. We have some cool guests. We have the herd manager of the Quezon Platoon of the 3rd Infantry Regiment, which is known as the Old Guard. They're at Joint Base Meyer-Henderson Hall, Fort Meyer, if you guys are old school, as well as Captain Carlin Keeley, the platoon leader with the Quezon Platoon. So I'm pretty excited to have them on the show. We're going to be talking about the Old Guard. We're going to talk about horses because this is something that nobody really gets into. We see them on all the ads. They are the face of the army. But there's a lot more that makes that magic happen. So welcome both of you to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So we always talk about, you know, the caisson platoon and we see the old guard doing funerals, but a lot of people don't even know what a caisson platoon is. So what is a caisson platoon? Absolutely. So this is Carlin Keeley here, Captain Keeley. I'm the platoon leader for the Quezon Platoon, and we are a platoon situated under headquarters and headquarters company under 1st Battalion, the 3rd United States Infantry Regiment, just like you said, the Old Guard. And we are actually the last fully mounted unit in the DOD. So what that means is that every single day we do missions on horseback. So across the military, there are other units that actually do and work with horses, such as commanders, color guards, and you know they do cavalry reenactments. We have other military working equine. However, we are actually the last caisson, which means that we take caskets to ANC graves. So every day we roll out and we do military funerals. So we do up to eight a day with two teams, typically a gray and a black team that roll out and do missions all across the 639 acres of Arlington National Cemetery. So the caisson is the the wagon, essentially, that is holding the the casket of the person to be very ceremonial. Everything looks right. How in the world do you get enough people that know how to ride horses to do all these missions? Yes, that is approved, you know, a challenge over the years. Absolutely. We have soldiers who are assigned to the old guard who actually volunteer to come to the case on platoon. So we are an all volunteer force and we are branch immaterial, which means that whatever your background in terms of what you um specialize in in the army, if you are a driver or if you are an infantryman, if you are a military police, you can come and serve in Quezon. And I actually have a couple drivers right now and and one military police, so non-commissioned officer. So we get soldiers who have absolutely no horse experience. We get soldiers who have some horse experience and we have soldiers who are experienced with horses. So we run the gamut and we train everybody the same. So we actually run a 10-week basic horsemanship course at one of our facilities down at Fort Belvoir. And in that time, they learn everything from the care and keeping of a horse to how to muck out a stall, which is, you know, everybody's favorite, to groundwork, 
to actually getting up and riding on a horse. And we ride in the cemetery, we ride on McClellan. So we ride Castilian, which means that we ride on the left side of a six horse hitch. So we have six horses pulling our about 4,000 pound wagon in the cemetery. And we train our soldiers to ride Western down at Fort Belvoir. And then we transition them to ride English up here at Fort Myer for ceremonial purposes. Wow, a 10-week course. That sounds like pretty exhaustive. I, I know of some a certain MOS training that's probably about the same length. It probably takes a while to get everything right because the perfection is the standard, I understand. Absolutely. So we have a saying here at Quezon, we like to do one funeral eight times a day because it doesn't matter if you are a two-star. It doesn't matter if you are a command star major. It doesn't matter if you're a chief warrant officer. If you are being pulled by the Quezon platoon, you are the only funeral that is happening that entire day. So that is incredibly important to us. Every morning we come in at 430 we shine all of our brass, which is over 300 pieces every single day. We brush all of our tack. We wash the horses. We groom the horses. We pick their hooves. It, it's incredibly time intensive, but it's it's very, very important that we look the part because it is hugely symbolic of the service that these individuals rendered during their time in the military. And we really, really like to uphold this tradition. We were started in 1948 and there is a an incredible community of individuals who have served here. So perfection is the standard. Perfection has been the standard and it will continue to be the standard. I can't even imagine getting up at 4.30 and then doing, you know, eight funerals a day. But each one, you know that every single eye is on you at every second from the moment you're visible until the moment you're gone and, and everywhere in between. <laughs> Any misstep, any mistake is going to be noticed. It's going to be, you know, observed and taken note of, especially given the gravity of the circumstances of, you know, funerals. How in the world do you get enough people to volunteer and how long do people stay? So it depends on when they arrive at the platoon. We like to have people come in with about 18, eight, at least 18 months left of service at the old guard. But if people really want to serve, obviously we don't turn them away. So to get into the course, soldiers have to basically try out. So there's a three-day tryout, which consists of a team building event, an APFT. We haven't transitioned to the ACFT yet, Army Physical Fitness Test versus the Army Combat Physical Fitness Test. And then they have to, we have to figure out if they are allergic to hay, believe it or not, because obviously we do a lot of throwing hay. And if a soldier is allergic to hay, that is a deal breaker. And then after that, they, you know, they go through the 10-week course. But it's an incredible honor to serve in the Quezon platoon. And, you know, even though we work really long days, I think most of my soldiers get out at about 1800 every day or 6 p.m. And, you know, the non-commissioned officers even later, there is something significant about being part of history in such a way that allows you to continue a tradition that has gone on for so long. Um, the, the, the actual sort of origin of the caisson was that back in the day, there were two uses of the caisson. One was to emplace artillery, and then the other was to be a field expedient ambulance, which is where our tradition comes from. If a, so if a soldier went down on the battlefield and they needed to be taken out, the caissons would actually take the bodies off of the battlefield, which is how we arrived at our tradition today. So... So how many horses are involved? I'm kind of curious because you have two teams doing eight funerals a day. The horses must get tired as well. How many horses are like in rotation or being taken care of? 
So right now we have a herd of 55 military working equine. Over the years, the herd has fluctuated. We, I think, peaked at about 66 and we have gone down lower than that. As in the last 20 years or so, as the casualties of the global war on terror increase, we obviously met that need with our increased herd numbers as well. And that allows us to typically run a four squad rotation. So each squad has horses assigned to it. So those soldiers in that squad work with those horses every single week. And that allows a week on, a week off, a week on, a week off. So we run basically what we call sister squads. So we run two squads who run on primary and backup. And those are the two squads that function in the cemetery. And then the two squads, the sister squads that are on rest, one of them is doing stalls and then one of them is doing horsemanship training. So it allows our working equine to rest even as we allow the soldiers to rest as well. So you have all these horses, you have all these squads. I mean, you guys are very, very busy. There's things going on every single day. How in the world do you get all these things done? I mean, you talked about the thousands of pieces of brass. You talk about all the horses and that's a big herd. That's a lot of horses. That's a lot of I've ridden horses. Just taking care of one is is a significant challenge. Is there extra help or is it all the soldiers taking care of everything? So we do almost entirely everything ourselves. So we have a veterinarian who is assigned to the post who works with us as well. I am assigned a vet tech who works with in conjunction with our vet and our soldiers to make sure that all of our horses receive the best care possible. But in terms of the care and keeping of the horses, the day-to-day grooming and the day-to-day tack maintenance, et cetera, that is all internal. So we do everything at home. So I am typically assigned 57 individuals and obviously just like horses that number ebbs and flows as well and you know the the fewer the soldiers the the greater the work but every single soldier is like i said volunteer and they want to be here so you know it it is an incredible honor to render this service and there are some times where there's not enough hours in a day and that happens but you know there's always the next day so we make it happen absolutely no it is Every time you see a funeral, I mean, it's become iconic. You know, a funeral at Arlington with the case on and the the rendering of honors. It's just so much a, a part of being in the Army. I was so thinking of that when I was watching the funeral of, of Queen Elizabeth and the pomp and circumstance. And the British have pomp and circumstance down to an art. But we have some grand traditions of our own. And that is probably the most visible symbol of the military that everybody knows, even if they know nothing else. They know about these Arlington cemeteries because of all the depictions in the movies. And that's probably the best way that people have seen it unless they've been out to Arlington and and attended a, a ceremony. So you guys are at Fort Myer, but you also have some space down at Belvoir for training. How does that work? So you guys are always stationed at Meyer and then just have a training facility. I'm kind of curious, just sort of the day to day. How does that work with the with the herd, with the soldiers? Are they stationed there? Are there any rules for uh, soldiers? Do they not be married? I know in some posts, things like that. 
Absolutely. So all of our soldiers are assigned to the old guard. So what that means is all of our soldiers who are in barracks live at Fort Myer. So we internally run a rotation of soldiers at Myer and at Belvoir. And we actually take care of all of our own, what we call CQ, which is basically 24-hour watch on the horses. So we run a CQ at Meyer and at Belvoir. So we have a soldier 24-7 on guard for the horses in case something happens. So they are making sure that the horses are getting their water and their hay at any point during the night. So they run 24 hours on, 24 hours off. There is no requirement in terms of being married or not. We have soldiers who are married. We have soldiers who aren't. We have soldiers who have kids and soldiers who don't. So we we really run the gamut. In terms of our facilities, we have, like I said, we have two at the moment. And down at Fort Belvoir, we keep all of our training horses, which is the horses that are used for the training class. And then that is where we do our pasture turnout for the horses that are not in the cemetery. So that kind of lets them be horses, as it were, when they don't have to be working, which is which is really awesome. We give them a little you know, R&R as well. And then all of our stalls, for the most part, are located up at Meyer, which is where we pull them every other uh, military working equine every morning to get them into the cemetery. I remember when I was at Meyer, I had a headquarters over there near the Iwa Memorial. I would drive up on the, the back gate and I'd drive the extra little loop in order to get to the, that building just to drive by the horses and see the stalls and see the horses being walked and all the things that were happening. There was always activity, a very soldierly activity, especially when you work in D.C. Uh, it's mostly, you know, in buildings and you're not around soldiering as much. And so I would always drive that extra bit and just see what was happening. And there was always a flurry of activity. It was never a dull moment when I drove by. And, and so it always stuck with me like, golly, that looks like an assignment where those folks are keeping exceptionally busy. So you guys have these horses. Where do you get the horses from? So for that, I'm going to turn that over to Miss Hovey. She is working on our new procurement methods and she can speak a little bit to where we have come from and where we're going. So historically, our horses have come from all walks of life in terms of their backgrounds. We have horses of different breeds. We have a lot of draft crosses in our herd, which helps with the, the pulling of the wagon. And we have some smaller horses that are, look really good for our comparison position and our section riders. We have a couple Mustangs in our barn that has something that we're really proud of, that we were able to give a home and a purpose to some of our American Mustangs. And going forward, we are transitioning our herd to an all-black squad. And so we are not at this time limiting ourselves to specific breeds, but instead we're thinking about the temperament of the animal and appropriate sizing for our case. And so we are looking at specific breeds that may come more often in black colors, but no, we are open to all walks of life as we go forward so that we can um, find horses that will be happy doing work with us and that will be suitable for our soldiers. That's really fascinating because you would think, you know, like me being on the outside, knowing very little about horses, except that I like Tennessee walkers because that's what I was trained on <laughs> and, and they don't jump as much. And, and, you know, they just sort of walk quickly. Yes. You know, that's that's what I that's the extent of my horse knowledge, except, you know, I like riding on trail riding and things like that. <laughs> But I would think like, oh, they all want this particular breed or this size or so you're switching to all black. They're colored black, I imagine, mm -hmm. uh, for yes. just the uniformity. 
<laughs> for uniformity reasons. And we believe that we will have a healthier herd moving forward with an all black squad. There are some health concerns that come along with gray horses. And so we are trying to improve our health our health of the animals and make sure that we are doing right by the animals that come into our service. And so our all black squad is in consideration largely of, of that. And so you're right. It is one of the things that as a horse person, I, I too have faith I, and I have to think about my own biases when I go out and I look for horses that would be suitable for this job working in the cemetery every day. I prefer, of course, quarter horses and Frisians. Those are some of the horses that were common where I was growing up. But we, we do often tend to look at draft crosses so that we have the right size and temperament for the animals for our mission. So I'm down near Keswick, Virginia. It's horse country down here, and we have a lot of horses, but I don't see too many draft horses these days. So where in the world would you find draft horses? I guess you look all throughout the country or draft cross anyway. Yeah, so there are draft crosses north of us in Virginia, in Pennsylvania, and as you move east to areas of the country where they're still doing some traditional farm work. But you actually find a lot more of our draft crosses farther west, and so we are keep we're on the hunt for horses that are um, still being used for multi purposes. Some that are maybe looking for a second career, coming from carriage driving. Some that may be looking to do something other than farm excuse me and so we're looking sort of north of us and farther west to acquire those draft crosses so you heard it here first folks if you have a draft cross that is all black <laughs> looking for a new a new line of work just reach out maybe you guys can work out a deal i don't know but i find it fascinating that you know you have all these different kinds of horses but it makes perfect sense you've got something very heavy that needs to be pulled and then you have the others that are just being ridden by the uh, soldiers that are all volunteers which i think is really cool and then yes. you are taking care of them they're getting world-class care i mean most horses don't have an on-call vet and vet tech and 24-hour charge of quarters i know a lot of people that take care of horses and they check in on them once a day or so but they basically have their own supervisor 24 hours a day which is you know because things happen i get it what in the world are some of the challenges that show up by having live animals that you need to conduct missions throughout the week? So from a herd management perspective, I think for me, the first challenge is remembering that our management of the animals is 24-7. And so when I think about how to plan for resources related to money and time for the soldiers, I have to think that this is 24-7. So I have to think about how to balance our world-class care with the realities of uh, uh, duty days and, and soldiers, the amount of soldiers that I have to work with. And so that for me is my greatest challenge, making sure that I consider the 24-hour 24-7 needs of the animals. Captain Keeley, what about you? Absolutely. I would reiterate that on the operation side, which is that I have a certain number of horses and I have a certain number of soldiers. And at the end of the day, the horses require the care of the soldiers. And so managing the mission, which is obviously no fail, and then managing the horse care and then managing all the other soldier tasks that come with a typical infantry platoon and making sure that they don't atrophy on their... Um, you know, their infantry skills because we will turn them back out into the horse as infantry is, you know, it, it's quite a balancing act. And, and as a platoon leader, I'm also responsible for making sure that that we develop our, our soldiers not 
you know, only as horsemen, but as, as, you know, young leaders as well. So I think that for me is probably the biggest challenge that we face going forward is, you know, we have equine soldiers and we have human soldiers and, and balancing daily. A lot of these challenges are endemic in the army, getting everything done when you have, you know, a thousand requirements, but only a hundred hours of time, you know, getting everything, especially with the new army combat fitness test and with the overhand yeet, I guess that might be useful for hay, but you know, that might be the only time I've ever considered that that new test with the overhand yeet being somewhat useful with hay bales, I suppose. And you have a lot of soldiers, you guys, you know, a 60 something soldier right about, and then the same number of horses. How much gear is involved? Because you mentioned like 3,000 pieces of gear and it all has to be shined up and readied and cleaned and all that. It sounds like a lot of small pieces everywhere, which is anybody who's ever had a property book is probably a little terrified of, you know, all these parts and pieces just everywhere all the time being used and not locked up and, and, you know, painted pretty. Yes. And uh, as a property book holder, <laughs> I can tell you that it is definitely a, you know, a daily challenge to make sure that we, you know, don't lose any piece of brass or that all of our tack is is absolutely maintained. But but to your point, we are a functional unit. So every piece of tack that is original is used day to day. So you know, over 300 pieces of brass shined every day, all of the tack is created and maintained on premises. So we actually order out our saddle trees, which is the McClellan saddle 1928. But other than that, we do all of our leather work in house. So it is a daily battle between, you know, fixing pieces of leather that, you know, might break or that needs some adjustment, and then making sure that it returns to the squad that it's, you know, it came from. And then obviously beyond all of our tech, we have all of our grooming kits and we have the wagons themselves, which are also original. We have the wagon wheels, which I think most people don't know, go to the Amish to get fixed because believe it or not, there's not actually a lot of, you know, wagon wheel makers in the area. <laughs> I, I would imagine <laughs> these unique challenges uh, really... that you never thought when you were going to school, like I'm going to have to know how to get a wagon wheel fixed. That wasn't part of my escut of skills I would have ever thought I would need. No, absolutely not. When I was, you know, studying Arabic and theology at Georgetown, I never thought that I was going to be learning how to, you know, work with leather or in a a wagon from the, you know, 1900s. So a lot of challenges. And I would imagine most of my soldiers didn't think that they would be doing this when they entered the military either. But no, it, it is a question of, you know, discipline and initiative and in ensuring that everybody takes ownership of their items. So all of our horses that are assigned to a squad have a saddle that is assigned to that horse that it is measured and sized to that horse. So it is really, really important that all of our squad maintain all of their tack because when you have saddles that don't fit the horses, that can also lead to muscle atrophy, et cetera. And we, you know, really, really care for the horses. Obviously they, they are mission critical. So equipment is Absolutely. One of the the big three that we focus on here. So I have one almost last question, but are there any particular circumstances, situations or events that sort of stand out in your mind that rise above all the others? You guys do a lot of missions every day, you know, hundreds and hundreds of, of, of funerals every year, lots of other things that are happening in D.C. Is there any that stand out as sort of like, wow, I can't believe I'm here part of this. 
Absolutely. And I have a, I have a couple personal ones, but, but just some of the overarching ones. We did Colin Powell's funeral. We have done, we did McCain's funeral. We, we do a lot of the big name funerals, which are obviously incredibly important, but I think at least for me, and I would imagine most of my soldiers would testify to this. Some of the most touching moments are the small moments, particularly with the families as we, you know, are located close to the funeral, particularly at Old Post Chapel, which is one of the big places where they do the funerals. We'll have families come over before or after the ceremony and, you know, work with the horses and, and pet the horses and, you know, thank us for taking their loved one to their final resting place. And, and there's something incredibly intimate about that, which is irreplaceable. And, and you don't really get that at other units. I came up from Fort Stewart. I worked on tanks, which is pretty much the opposite of what we're doing here, obviously. <laughs> and and I one of my personal stories, and I'll never forget this, is I rode in a funeral maybe two or three months back, and the family came into the barn afterwards, and the the wife came up to me, and she showed me a picture on her phone, and it was me, and I had my armor, you know, paraphernalia on. I have the, the gold band around my ceremonial cap, and she came up to me, she said, my husband was armor, and he never saw a female in an armor unit, and I just want to thank you for doing what you're doing. And moments like that are really, really hard to replace and to find elsewhere. So I think it's pretty amazing that we get to engage with the families of these individuals who have rendered such service and who have upheld such a tradition, because that's really what we try to do every single day in the barn. That's absolutely amazing. Those those small moments that form those you know memories that last decades. I, I was telling you before the show. I remember the old guard getting activated. I was at the Pentagon on nine eleven, and watching the old guard who's you know they're right there across over at Fort Myer. All of a sudden, you know, manning machine guns and helping set up as we're recovering the dead out of the Pentagon. I was so kind of shocked. I said. They do the funerals. What are they doing here? And they said, well, they're infantry and that's what they're going to do is, you know, that's their other primary mission. And I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. <laughs> Never thought about it. And all of a sudden, you know, all the guards and gates and machine guns and all the things to secure the Pentagon after it had been hit. It's one of those small things that'll live with me forever. Like, oh, they do a lot of stuff. <laughs> but the importance that you do with, with the ceremonies are the things that live on. We've been talking with Ms. Monique Hovey. She's the herd manager of the Quezon Platoon, as well as Captain Carlin Keeley. Uh, she's the platoon leader or platoon commander, I guess. Captain Platoon always throws me off, but they are with the 3rd Infantry Regiment, the Old Guard. They're at Joint Base Meyer Henderson Hall. And before I let you both go, let me ask you one last question. What should I have asked you about but didn't? That's a great question. I think you should have asked how you can come visit us. That's a great uh, question. We are, <laughs> we are open Tuesday through Saturday, 12 to 1600 or 4 p.m. And we do walking tours and we would love to have people come in. We love to give tours and, and tell people about our history. So you guys can actually ask the questions that we didn't get to answer today. And, you know, 
again, we are, we're really, really grateful that, you know, you took the time. And the, the other thing I would say is how can you adopt horses? We have an adoption program that runs throughout the year, wherein some of our horses that have rendered their service to the army go up for adoption for public adoption. And you can see that on our Facebook page. And you can also see that on the old guard website. And so we, we really, really love engaging with the public that way as well, and making sure that our equine soldiers get the retirement that they deserve. And for the folks that are listening, if you're driving, don't worry. When we post the interview, we're going to have the Old Guard website and Instagram. They have all the social medias. Unlike most units, they have a fantastic public affairs outreach. You'll be able to sign up for any tours, find out all the information. You don't have to write it down as you're driving. We'll have all that up on the Coming Home Well Facebook page. So just go there if you can't find the old guard. Unfortunately, when you Google the old guard, like the first eight responses are all like movies and stuff. Just search for, you know, the old guard, third infantry regiment, and you'll be able to find it no problem. But in case you don't, we'll have it all available. Thank you both so much for joining us on Coming Home Well. I learned a lot about everything you do and challenges and and the sacrifice that is made as you're rendering honors for those who have given the ultimate sacrifice. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on Coming Home Well. Thanks for joining us this week on Coming Home Well with Dr. Tyler Pieron. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. Follow us on Instagram at comminghomewell underscore BTS or on Twitter at comminghomewell. Thanks again. And until all are home and all are well, this is Coming Home Well.